0: Hello, hello. What another great day to be alive, bright and sunny today. Very exciting. So glad that you could join me once again. Let's get started with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this moment that we get to share together uh, and that we get to share around your word. We ask that you would reveal yourself to us, um, reveal yourself to us in a new way today. Uh, that we might see you and know you and deepen our relationship with you, we ask it by faith in jesus name amen well we're we're nearly there nearly to the the apex of the story of Moses and the exodus, the story of God's great and glorious deliverance of his people We'll spend the next two days in Exodus chapter twelve as a way of soaking in the text and uh, hopefully receiving all that the Lord has for us. So today we begin by reading verses 1 through 20. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with that of what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If someone is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it, from the first day to the seventh, must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for anyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreigner or native born, who eats anything with yeast, and it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. The content of this chapter is simply massive. I get so much out of it every time I read it, and and, uh, take time to imagine what these events must have been like. The one thing I encourage you to do over the next few days is to read chapter 12 through several times on your own or with family or friends. As I've communicated to you from the beginning of these devotionals, and I'm sure you've now realized anyone can read the Bible for themselves and identify what God is saying to them. While my hope is that these devotionals have been a blessing to you, I also hope that you're encouraged that it isn't rocket science to do what I'm doing. I don't have a special degree or way of thinking or anything to do this and you don't need one either. Just do what I do. Identify what grabs your attention from the passage. Listen for a word of grace from the Lord. That is a word of identity about who he is or about who he says you are, and then act on an appropriate response to that word of grace. What has really grabbed my attention, Uh, this time through this passage is the aspect of time. There are, are two sides to this coin, as it were, and one is described in the text and one we get when we read a bit further down to verses 40 and 41. The first is summarized in verse 11. God said, this is how you are to eat the Passover with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. That first Passover meal was eaten in haste. And it was done with the whole house packed up. I lived in two different dorms and two different apartments in college. uh, And then I've lived in five houses since then. And there's that moment when all of your stuff has been removed and loaded into the truck. And you take a final walk through to make sure you've got all your stuff and everything is, is clean for the most part. There's a a finality to that moment. And there's the reality that you're not coming back. This is it. Imagine being in that empty house on that final evening and then cooking one last meal and sitting on the floor in the kitchen or the living room with your family or friends, imagine hearing the neighbors next door, knowing that they're doing the same thing. And then imagine knowing that they're doing the same thing just a few doors down. And in fact, there are thousands of people all over town doing the exact same thing. That's what it was like for the Hebrew people in this moment. It was a one last big, this is it moment. We're not coming back. Their rescue was finally coming. Uh, A rescue that, as we can see in verses 41 and 42, had been 430 years in the making. I mean, can you imagine that? 430 years being away from your true home, uh, the home that that God had given to your ancestors and ending up in, in slavery under an oppressive political leader. Events in the United States since the civil rights movement, um, but perhaps even more so with violence against blacks on the front page of national news over the past two years, have brought to light the reality that... American slavery and racism has been a a problem, a systemic problem in our country for centuries. And I certainly don't want to be tone deaf to that right now. There are generations of black and even more recently Hispanic and Asian people who have undergone discrimination, mistreatment, disrespect, fear, and violence that I can't fully imagine nor fully understand Uh, But even though I can't fully grasp what they've been through, uh, or for that matter, what God's people went through during their time in Egypt, my shared humanity can relate enough to understand that it was a form of hell. Uh, Things had to feel absolutely hopeless as generation after generation after generation were born and raised and died under the same unchanging conditions. It wasn't just the question, where is God anymore? Now, there had to have been flat out unbelief among the people. This is it. This is life. So let's just get on making the best of it and try to enjoy it a little bit before it's gone. But then Moses and Aaron had come to town and and they, they spoke of a God who hadn't forgotten about his people and who was ready to act. And then there were the plagues and time and time again, there had been incredible signs that couldn't just be coincidence. And that most certainly couldn't have been produced by people. This really must be him. Hope was building. And then there was the last word from Moses and the last word was going to mean their deliverance. This was it. The moment they had been waiting for longer than they could remember, were finally leaving and were not coming back. As exciting as this was, God hadn't provided too much guidance on the rescue plan. The, the final plague would break Pharaoh and would mean their release. But release to where? And how would they get there? They hadn't ever been out of Egypt. And when exactly? I mean, they knew it was going to be that night, but at what time? What was it going to look like? And how would they know that it was time to go? This moment was such an interesting time for the Hebrew people. And time was all over this moment. On one hand, it was it was go time. God was on the move and, and they needed to be ready. They had their homes packed, and they ate in their traveling clothes. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine anybody got much sleep that night. On the other hand, this was a moment that came after centuries of apparent inaction from God. It was haste, but it was at a snail's pace. What was going on here? Now, I, I certainly don't have the mind of God, so I can't claim to know uh exactly what he was doing. But as I read this passage, I can't help but be reminded of a couple of verses from a book of the New Testament called 2 Peter. Uh, Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends during his earthly ministry and a pillar of the first church as it emerged from Jerusalem. In 2 Peter, he was writing to some of those first Christians about what it would be like when Jesus returns to earth at the end of the present age. Now, if you're not familiar with this part of Christian belief, the, the Bible tells us that we're in uh, what are referred to as the last days of human history, at, at least the this part of human history that has to contend with the effects of sin on earth. There will be a moment, though, when Jesus descends again from heaven to, to judge the world and to establish his kingdom on earth forever. Those who believe in him will enjoy life with him, uh, what most people describe as heaven, and, and those who have rejected him will be destined for an eternal future without him. And, and as such, without all the blessings and benefit that come along with his presence. Well, When Peter described this moment, he wrote in Second Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, Do not forget one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I think Peter's words are incredibly helpful for us in in understanding the Hebrews' deliverance from Egypt and in understanding our place in human history. God is outside of time. A thousand years to us is like a day to him. He's, he's never in a hurry, but he's never late either. He may not show up on time, according to our time. And he may appear late according to our clocks, but he has never checked out, never missing the moment. No, Peter wrote that he is patient and he doesn't want anyone to perish but for everyone to come to repentance. I don't think that the Lord wanted Pharaoh or the Egyptians to perish. I think he wanted them to be saved. I I believe he wants every person to live. I mean, wouldn't you want that if you were responsible for creating every single person? I really get this as a parent. I know that I can't control Uh, what my kids are going to do in the future. I can't keep them from every bad decision. And I can't keep them from disowning me, honestly. Uh, But I will always love them. I will always reach out to them. And I will never wish death on them. I want them to live. This is how God sees humanity. But God is also just. He made life. So he has set the parameters for it. And part of those parameters is that life cannot be found apart from him. We talked about this yesterday. And when people reject and disown him, when they, when they go their own way and hurt others in the process, there are consequences. This isn't unfair, it's logical. If there was overwhelming evidence against a murderer, for example, it would make no sense for a judge to give him a not guilty verdict. A horrible crime was committed, and a harsh penalty is what is deserved. That That's fair. That's justice. And I think the problem when it comes to God is that so many of us have such a low view of him. We We agree that a murderer should be sent to prison, but it seems a little uptight of God to be upset if people don't honor him and listen to his commands. You've heard it before, I'm sure. How could a loving God send anyone to hell? The same way, I think that a good judge can send a murderer to prison. This is where I find myself in the text and I encourage you to consider if you're there too. Like the Hebrews were then, we must now be aware of our time. We're in the last days of human history and there's a moment when judgment will again be brought to the earth. The question is, will judgment rest on us? or will it pass over us? The Hebrews spread the blood of a perfect lamb on their doorposts as a sign that they were God's people. They were saved by the blood of the lamb. When Jesus walked along the Jordan River, John the Baptist called out, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world Indeed, he was the perfect lamb, the the only person to have never sinned, never rejected God, and always remained obedient to his commands. And it was his blood that was spread, not on a doorpost, but on a wooden cross. His death was the judgment against human sin, so that whoever identifies with him by faith may be passed over. Again, I ask, does God's fair and righteous judgment rest on you, or have you been protected and passed over by faith in the blood of Jesus? God is not slow in keeping his promises. Jesus will return and welcome some to life and send some to death, but he doesn't want anyone to perish. Let's believe that today and live that for the world around us god we thank you for this revelation about your goodness and your grace we thank you um, on behalf of ourselves uh, for being patient and gracious with us but certainly on behalf of our friends and family who are still deciding what they believe about you um, or who maybe haven't heard about you yet we, we thank you that you're patient And God, we pray that um, you would give just enough time for each one of them to be saved, uh, to come to a knowledge of the truth, and to acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. We thank you for Jesus, for the perfect lamb, the one that remained obedient to you to the end, even though it cost him his life, because we believe that that life is ours. That that eternal life, His life, is ours. And, And we look forward to that, God. We wait expectantly for that moment. Thank you, Lord. Amen.